Coming up on the Pinstripe Pod, opening day has come and gone without baseball, but we will look back and share our favorite opening day memories. Longtime New York Post baseball columnist Kevin Kernan makes his debut on the pod. We also chat with Yankees great and one of Nelly's teammates, first baseman, number 24, Tino Martinez, number 24. All that and a whole lot more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheard, alongside my co-host, former Yankee and four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts where you can rate us five stars and write a nice review. You can also subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin Kernan and Tino Martinez will join the show today. Let's get it all going right now on the Pinstripe Pod. Well, Sheerney, same old, I mean, luckily that we're in hot Florida, you know, I'm sorry for, and I, I pray and I think about What's the this New Yorkers all the stuff? time. I'm not in Florida with you. Oh, no. I wish I was well, in Florida. I'm talking about my wife, my kids, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. we have, we have some, at least some things to do down here. And I see some pictures of the city and it's like a ghost town up there. And it's a lot of my friends send some pictures and it's, it's amazing. From last week, one of my friends, good friends came and tested positive for the coronavirus he and his uh, girlfriend are really uh, they turned the corner feeling tons better so that's great news but you know i've gotten to be a netflix fan i've gotten into the 2020s i think because the only thing i've ever watched on netflix was screwball that uh, biogenesis thing with a rod yes Uh, so i've gotten to watch and i don't know if you're doing it and i'm on season two episode six of ozark and i can't put this thing down yeah i'm on the new season my season three yeah I, I, my wife and I have been in on it since it came out and really? Jason Bateman is and Laura Linney. They're tremendous. I yes. mean, the cast is great, but season three, it's like, <laughs> I told, I told my wife yesterday, we're doing two episodes a day because it's just, it's too intense. I can't take more than two episodes. Oh, you're like I, my wife. My wife. I got to decompress. Oh, I got to decompress. At the end of season one, were you shocked? I won't give away any spoilers, but were you yeah, shocked don't. about what? happened you're watching that thing i don't think anything can shock you no thing surprises they <laughs> that's have what's everything. so great about it does aroldish chapman's picture oh, his latest picture on instagram shock you being being a relief pitcher yourself what is that like seeing how jacked he is in that picture on instagram well i know he was always a big weightlifter, and you know he always had and his lower half and people don't understand as a pitcher you get your speed a lot from your lower half and and as far as your stability and your stamina comes from your lower half that's why i think a lot of the starters nowadays they don't last very long because they don't keep in shape and they don't lift with their lower half and you look at all the pitchers back in my days you know roger clemens pettit uh you had el duque you had jimmy key david Cohn. these guys were so strong and david well so strong in their lower half that they didn't get tired and it really helps out your arm but oh my god this guy uh, chapman looks like he's an incredible hawk if i'm if i'm the Yankees <laughs> and i see that i'm immediately calling him and saying what the hell heck are you doing i can't i don't know how he's going to throw i I mean maybe he's looked that way for a long time and he's always looked that way but i'm saying how in the heck is this guy going to be able to pitch a ball it might be like the angle that the picture's taken at but he does look
look like the next Avenger, oh, the yes. Cuban Missile. <laughs> he's going to the WWE. I mean, he's not—he's not going to throw the baseball. He's going to throw—he's going to be wrestling Hawk Hogan and whoever's, uh, uh, you know, John Cena. John, Cena. C- yes, Cena. Uh, I've—I've I've lost my touch with the WWE too. I think I punched out when Hogan left. But Jeff, we didn't have March Madness uh, sports like the NBA and the NHL. They went—they went away. The MLS, basically all around the world, sports has gone away, and we were hoping for opening day to uh, happen at some point soon, but uh, it's not going to be the case. And and opening day was supposed to be last Thursday and it goes away. But the great thing about opening day for me as a fan, it was always like to me and my family was like a holiday because we love baseball so much. So I have so many great memories on opening day because it was like Christmas day, really. But how about for you as a player, what were some of your special opening day memories? Well, my first year in the big leagues was 92 and I missed opening day because I, they sent me down to the minors and then all of a sudden a day, I think a pitcher got hurt on opening day and they were in Milwaukee. Uh, so I did get to experience opening day in Seattle. And it's something that you dream of. Cause like you said, when I was a little kid, I grew up in Baltimore. I used to go to the Oreo games all the time with my dad and we didn't miss too many opening days. And the one thing you got to, you got to get out of school, you, you know, you missed a day of school. So that was important. And I think maybe opening day should be a holiday for kids to be able to go. But I remember, especially the Yankees, uh, you know, we're going to have Tino on and we're, Tino Martinez, we're going to talk to him. And both of us were traded at the same time over to New York. And actually, I was on a Mariner caravan. Uh, I don't know how much the Yankees really did it, but a lot of the teams would do caravans and promote their team, you know, for the coming year. A lot of the young players would do it. But Seattle was one of those cities that their demographics, their fan base, uh, you, it went into Idaho. It went down into Portland, Oregon. Uh, it went up to Vancouver, Canada. So we, and also Alaska. So I did every single caravan, and the only one I didn't do was Alaska. So I went to Alaska, and it was in uh, I think the beginning of December, and I got traded off of that caravan trip to the Yankees with Tina Martinez and Jim Messier, and I had one more day of the caravan to promote the Mariners, and I did it as a Yankee actually. Uh, so and then and then all. All of a sudden, Tino and I go to New York and we go to, you know, spring training the first year at Legends Field. And they moved from Fort Lauderdale to Tampa. And then we get to New York and it was different because I, as a visitor, you loved playing there. But as a home team, you're looking at 50,000 plus fans and they're right on top of you. I don't think there's any other stadium like old Yankee Stadium. The loud the loudness or, or how the it just it was incredible. And then you got to pitch. And I'm sitting on the mound and you're, and you're looking, I'm coming out of the bullpen and at back, you know, that's where Monument Park was. And you're looking at the history uh, you're, and all of a sudden I'm on the mound. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is where Whitey Ford pitched. This is where Ron Guidry threw Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Bear. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And just because I was in Baltimore and I knew I was a uh, an Oriole fan, I, I knew history. I knew the Yankees. You know, Old Timers Day when I was in Seattle, I got to make, I think, two of them when we played the Yankees. And I'm watching Mickey Mantle and Phil Rizzuto and these guys come out on the field. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I watched. I mean, we had the whole Mariner dugout out there watching uh, Old Timers Day. But the pitch in Yankee Stadium for the first time, it was incredible. And then to see 
my teammate over there on first base and Tino Martinez, it, it made you feel a little bit more comfortable. And he, he, I think he probably had the same feeling. It, you know, you put on those pinstripes, you have the NY on your chest, the NY on your hat. You're like, oh my goodness, man, this is, this is real now. This is real. Absolutely the case for you as a player, for, for any fan who grew up uh, going to the old Yankees stadium and knowing the history and knowing what it meant to be on that field. It's the exact same sentiment. So hearing you say it as a player coming, you know, growing up in Baltimore and playing over in Seattle and knowing how it hit you like a ton of bricks, uh, it just puts it all into perspective. All right, let's talk some more baseball with the guy who has covered the game forever. New York Post columnist, Kevin Kernan. You could follow Kevin on Twitter. It's at A-M-B-S underscore Kernan. That is America's most beloved sports writer, by the way. And it's a pleasure to have you on, Kevin. Long time, no talk. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. And just so everybody knows, I did not give myself that nickname. That was given to me by Andy McCullough, who now works for The Athletic. We were at Fenway Park on the 100-year anniversary. I took a great selfie of myself. I showed Andy and he goes, ah, America's most beloved sports writer in America's most beloved ballpark. So it's, I do have an ego, but it's not that big. <laughs> I, I know you don't. And and I kind of love that uh, you have that as your Twitter handle. So I'm glad you described the story, but that story needed no description for me. Right off the top, we're in, as I've been saying over and over and over again on this podcast, we're in uncharted waters right now. What does a writer do without any baseball? I mean, how do you stay busy? How do you come up with ideas? What are you doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. And you be creative. You're supposed to have your son's wedding on Saturday. And that got canceled. So um, Sorry life gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. life, life changes uh, daily. So at least I had a few days off to think about things. But I've come up with some, like the first day, the first day this happened, the first thing I did when baseball canceled, the first thing I did was call Mike Piazza. I said, Mike, it looks like we're in for, they're saying two weeks. I think it's going to be much longer. You went through 9-11. What was that like? And he explained what that was like. And this is what, this is the beauty of our job, guys. You never know what you're going to get. So then I said, Mike, you've lived in Italy for a long time. And I had seen Mike twice in spring training already. And uh, he said, yeah, let me tell you what's going on there now. The problem is they didn't social distance. And he went on to some other things as well that was going on in the country. But I wrote that. The day after baseball said we're going to have a delay. Then the day after that, I wrote, shut it all down. Shut everything down. And they didn't shut it down until just recently. So those are the things I do. I did something with Gil Hodges. I spoke to Vin Scully about Gil Hodges and how not only because he was a great player, but Gil should be in the Hall of Fame because of the way he guided Jackie Robinson. That wasn't really pointed out. Pee Wee Reese did the great job from shortstop. But as Carl Erskine told me, I can't tell you how many fights Gil won't stop by getting over there and getting in the pile and pulling guys off the pile if there's a hard slide or whatever. So those are the things. I did a story on scouts. What do scouts do without baseball? That should run soon. I, I did that the, uh, about a week ago. So hopefully that runs. And uh, those are some of the things I do. So I got to be creative. Well, I think it's what we do. You know, you go out and try to play golf and get outside and try to pass the time because really there's nothing you know what what can you do but hopefully wait and hopefully this gets better so we can kind of resume baseball 
you know, I went through the strike in 94 and it was an unknown there. And eventually the season got canceled for the rest of the way in the postseason. And oh, one the same way. I mean, you're going through an unknown. And uh, when this game does resume, hopefully soon, month, two months, I mean, who knows when? I think we've asked this question quite a bit. It'd be interesting to see your opinion as far as a true season, having a true champion. What's your opinion as far as how many games needs to be played in order to, hey, hey, this is a legitimate season? Yeah, Jeff. That's 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 the question. And I'm going to give you, the, you know, one of the reasons I'm AMBS is because I don't hold back. It's kind of like an ironic nickname. I'm not e- the easiest guy to get along with. So my point is it will never be this season. You can never think of this as a true season right now. It's done. So whatever this is, this becomes 1961 times whatever. This is the asterisk season. This season is not about stats. It's not about championships. It's about getting baseball back just to get some kind of sense of normalcy. Uh, in World War II, they had the victory gardens where people uh, had their own gardens out there and, uh, you know, kind of did whatever they can to help the war effort. Teenage kids were saving, you know, the wrappers, their bubble gum came in, the aluminum, uh, what was in those wrappers to help the war effort. That's what baseball will be when it comes back. It will be a game where we're just happy it's back. All the nerds, calm down, nerds. It ain't happening. We're not comparing this season to any other season. Whoever wins, wins. It's going to be like a WBC tournament in my mind. You're going to get, you're going to get playing, uh, you're going to be playing the World Series probably at a, unless the Dodgers are in it. You're going to be playing at a, a neutral site. It's about the emotion of the game coming back, not the numbers. I use this line often, and I think it's been taken out of control by the guys in charge of baseball. You know, you always hear about, you know, spin rate. I'm done with spin rate. Let me hear about the heart rate. And that's what we need with players. That's what we need with the game. And that's what this season is. It's not a season where we're going to say, well, you know, it was it was a season where he didn't play 162 games, so it can't match up. No, it was a season where these guys all came back. And you being an athlete, Jeff, I'd love to hear your answer on this. What you're going through as, a, you know, as a family member and still having to be able to perform, never knowing what's going on in each athlete's family, who got sick, who's not sick. Uh, if you're worried about a fan, if you're having a newborn baby, those are the things that you can never, you can never gauge by numbers. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, how players would uh, approach this uh, season as well well it's tough because you don't know like i said it's unknown i mean you have five weeks of spring training and i keep saying this it's going to be tougher on the pitchers and and you know this is what both sides the you know rob manford and the players association will have to figure out as far as expanding roster helping expanding rosters helping out pitchers uh, they don't go as long as they used to back when we played i mean they're you know you're going five innings 100 pitches you're out of the game anyway but to have five weeks of spring training shut it down and yes you can continue to throw but it's not the same you know you're not facing hitters you have to do it on your own you got to figure out how to work out lift weights and then when it does resume if you have two weeks of spring training I'm thinking okay we're talking about maybe some serious injuries here by some of these pitchers but to go through it it, it's tough I mean opening day was should have been a couple days ago you know this should have been opening weekend and it didn't happen Uh, it's difficult it's you know it's difficult for me as a broadcaster and, and looking and hey I couldn't wait for the season to start and then obviously you as a writer and and it's not happening and you're wondering because you read things and say oh is the 2020 season even going to exist and you're hoping that you 
maybe some part of the season happens. It's a mental clock thing. You you, you get yourself geared up. I've said it from the beginning. There's going to be more injuries because, I again, I've covered all the WBCs, and I see what happens when those guys gear up when they're not quite ready. I think you're going to see injuries the next year, and it's really going to be tough on relievers. Starters are starters. They're kind of going to get themselves ready. And, by the way, I'm glad you brought up that 100 pitch because isn't it great that we haven't had any Tommy John surgeries since they made it the 100 pitch limit? It's been wonderful, right, guys? Nothing ever happens to anybody anymore because the, the 100 pitch, <laughs> you know, exactly. The 100 pitch limit is a joke as well. I'm not saying you go out there and throw 160, but being sold this snake oil thing about 100 pitches, we just w- went with Noah Syndergaard. You know, how, how about looking at the, his two-seam fastball? Why is he throwing a two-seamer when he's got a 98-mile-per-hour, you know, four-seamer putting that stress on his elbow? It's the mechanics. It's the how they handle things. And maybe I hope, this is what I, I hope most of all with baseball now i hope the game sits back a little bit reflects on what they're doing and realize what they're doing and all their high performance coaches isn't working so they need to really reestablish uh the way they prepare themselves the way they get teams prepared the launch angle madness all that stuff i would think would be a great time for baseball now to sit back and say hey let's get back to the game the excitement of the game the athleticism of the game right now it's home run derby and you have guys sitting around you know you're watching a game um i i remember you know from the 70s and 60s i'm old i'm 66 so i'm in that that the that that age frame that's got to be careful here i remember there's so much to watch between every pitch now there's not and what do we get because of all this we get all the extra stealing signs, you know, which should have been taken care of, actually, uh, by pitchers. I talked to a pitcher yesterday, a veteran pitcher. I talked to Doc Gooden about this. I've talked to a number of pitchers about this. In the day, this would have been taken care of for one pitch. Gooden told me a great story. Biggio was at bat. Finley was on second. They were stealing my signs. I threw one right behind, right under the chin, and I turned to him and I said, stop it. No more stealing signs. That would have stopped it. And I brought that up to another veteran pitcher. I'm not going to mention his name because this is what he said. No, no. You don't throw under the and you throw right behind their head. That's what stops it. The game has to reevaluate what it's become. Uh, we appreciate the time for sure. I, I, I'd really like to get into a, a further conversation about that, about everything you're talking about right now. But unfortunately, we're, we're running out of time here. But Kevin, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on here real soon. Well, now that we got it ru- up and running, I'm ready to go anytime. And you can tell I'm not afraid to say my opinion. And one quick point, I do want to put one thing out there because I don't know if you guys were aware of it. But Tino Martinez is getting uh, into the uh, Hall of Fame in New York. He's been inducted this year. Nice little outfit up there. And, and guys like Goose are going in as well. And they've even, believe it or not, they've made one big mistake. They asked a writer to be in, inducted this year. And that's myself. So uh, congratulations. Oh, congratulations. To well, I couldn't yeah. agree with you more, Kevin. And I could sit here and talk to you the whole podcast about all the crap that's going on in baseball and what they've done wrong. Just exactly what you've said. So it'll be interesting to see if they, some of these new, what they're going to do as far as getting creative when the season comes back. And maybe it's an eye opener for them. Maybe interleague play gets gets out of here the stupid three batter rule go back to normal baseball like it used to be awesome great talking to you guys and uh, we'll talk soon i have plenty of time 
Joining us now, former Yankees first baseman, six seasons in the Bronx, won four World Series, five American League pennants in those six years, a two-time All-Star Silver Slugger Award winner. Uh, his numbers in Monument Park, of course, it's Tino Martinez. Tino, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Hope you guys are doing well. I uh, hope you're doing well uh, also in these uncharted waters that we're in right now. Who thought? Who would have thought that we'd ever be in this situation, Tino, where there's no sports? What have you been doing with yourself to keep yourself busy and occupied? Yeah, yeah I know it's crazy what's been going on. I mean, throughout the country, obviously. But, you know, I was working in spring training with the Yankees up until the point where they decided to shut it down. And I think for a few minutes there, a couple of days there, they thought it might re resume within a week or so. And then they realized how, how, how badly this disease or this virus has been throughout the country and how fast it's moving. So when they shut it down, it's my, I'm usually in spring training the whole month of March with them and then the minor league camp after that. So I've had to find things to do. Fortunately, the golf course have remained open here. I can play golf here and there, but basically I'm at home just trying to, you know, my kids are all home from out of town, working out of, their, out of the house here uh, on their computers and whatnot. So I'm just trying to like, you know, keep things going in, in a positive direction and just trying to, you know, keep yourself busy somehow throughout the day. It's been tough. Yeah, you know, I, that's fortunate. We're both in Florida, so we got the golf situation and the good weather. I think we're lucky in that that sense. You know, for a pitcher, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of 94, but we were going, you know, we had pretty much the whole year before we went on strike. For a hitter, how tough is that? You have five weeks of spring training and the next thing you know you shut it down and who knows when you're going to come back i mean yeah you start working out or you can't try to continue to do things but how tough is that all of a sudden you have to flip the switch on again yeah that, that's going to be tough that's that's the uh the big question here as far as like when they want to resume the season and how much spring training they're going to have before it starts because they obviously have to have at least two weeks of you know maybe games or just at least practices to uh get the guys back in, in game type shape if not you have guys getting hurt uh real quickly throughout the season so hitting wise it, it, it's tough because you can hit all the batting practice you want, hit in the batting cage all you want for the next three or four or five weeks. And until you face live pitching, you know, you can see like sliders and fastballs and curveballs. And it's a whole different game. So it's going to take a while to, to get that back. But I think, you know, the, the guys that had some spring training to work with already, the longer it goes, though, the harder it gets. And I think that they just stay in shape and try to like hit as much as they can. It'll, it'll be easier, a little easier to make the adjustments when the season does start. But it's going to be tough on both ends. Well, hopefully we, we get to baseball at some point. This is changing day to day, even hour to hour. Every day you wake up, it's something different. So until that happens, and hopefully it happens, as I said, sooner rather than later, uh, we'll welcome baseball back with open arms. But how about going back in time for a little bit here, Tino? Let's get in a DeLorean, fire up the flux capacitor, and go back to when you and Nelly were traded over to the Yankees before the 96 season. What was that like just winning year after year in the Bronx? How special was that when you came to the New York Yankees? Oh, it, it was very special. You know, Nelly and I came up from double A AA to triple A and with Seattle and all the way to the big leagues and uh, you know we had that one great year in 95 in Seattle uh, when we beat the Yankees in the playoffs of course we all thought we were going to come back and, and, and to be part of that Seattle team for a long time and to get traded to New York Yankees that offseason kind of surprising but also exciting as well because I think we both knew that they had a great team already in place and uh, they were on the verge of, of starting to you know probably win some you know get in the playoffs and hopefully win some championships so we were both excited about it but then going through it when we got there it was like uh, you know winning in 96 was, was amazing the first time for all of us to ever win a World Series, and then you know, we lost in '97, which was disappointing. But then to reel off three.
three in a row in 98, 99, and 2000. We, you know, when we went through it, we were just grinding it out day in, day out. We were playing the games, expecting to win, and we really didn't look up and take a breath. And, you know, when you talk about it now these days, looking back on it and thinking that we won, you know, three in a row and four out of five during that time was uh, something that may never be done again. So it was a great time, a great experience for all of us. And we had great teammates, uh, great coaches, managers, and, of course, playing in front of that New York Yankee crowd in the old Yankee Stadium was something special. Tino, you know, I want to know, I've always been asked, you know, what was it like to put on the pinstripes for the first time? Like you said, we were we were teammates from 89, 1989 in Williamsport all the way to 2000, through the 2000 season. We might have missed a year in there somewhere. We loved going to New York as a visitor when we were in Seattle because the atmosphere was just crazy. And the old Yankee Stadium, you, you can't not love playing in that place. But putting on the pinstripes and playing at home, it was different. It was almost when you went to spring training, putting on the pinstripes, it was different. Going there and knowing who you were replacing, Don Mattingly, and all of a sudden that opening day, I remember I, just the other day, I saw it on TV when we opened up in Cleveland, but then we went home and I opened up, I think it snowed. What was that like for you to finally, you put on the pinstripes, you're playing at Yankee Stadium. What was that feeling like? Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was exciting. I'm sure it was for you as well. Um, you know, everybody kind of dreams about playing for the New York Yankees at some time or another. And when it did happen for me, uh, I remember even in spring training that year, the first day of spring training, when I uh, put that hat on to take the field for the first game in spring training, it was exciting to have the pinstripe uniform on. Um, and then opening day in Yankee Stadium, uh, it, it, was, it, got, it was snowing that day. We got snowed out the first day, and the next day it snowed and we played through it. But to put the uniform on that day, I remember going in, in, in the bathroom and looking in the mirror just to see the hat and, and my jersey on to see what it looked like. I, and I never do that. I never go look in the mirror before a game and put my hat on, I go. And, just, and I was like, wow, this is really happening, you know? And then to take the field that day, even though it was a snowy day, there was still 55,000 people there. It didn't matter what the weather was like. They were loud. They were intense. And it was it was very exciting. And like you said, when we did play there in the past, all the years in the playoffs as well, that stadium was electric, even playing against them as a visiting player. And it's a, a place you wanted to play. So obviously I got off the slow start that one year when I first replaced Donnie and all that. But the team was playing well enough to pick me up and, and keep us going. And uh, from that point on, it was just the, the most exciting time ever, knowing that we had a chance to win the World Series every single day when we went to spring training and uh, each year. So it was a great team, an all-around team, and, and a great job by uh, Mr. Steinbrenner and, and everybody and the rest of his crew for keeping us all together. Funny because, you know, you're replacing Don Mattingly, and obviously, you know, they went to the playoffs in 95, but never really went to the World Series. And me playing with you, I, I knew what kind of first baseman you were, and I thought you were the best in the league. I said, you know what, New York is getting someone, they don't realize what they're getting at first base. Uh, and who, uh, yeah, you're replacing a legend, but you're going to become a legend yourself. What was that like? Did you have like a little edge say, you know what? You know, because at first, you know, even as a reliever, you, you look at Didi Gregorius replacing Jeter. Did you have like a little edge saying, you know what? You don't know me yet. You don't know what kind of first baseman I'm going to become for this team. Yeah, I, I did. I think you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. And um, I, I think the, the thing was, you know, Donnie was a great player, one of my favorite players ever. And the fans were um sad to see him retire but obviously injuries took its toll on him so it wasn't like I came in there and pushed him out but I knew that when I got there I loved hitting Yankee Stadium even as a visiting player I loved it there and I knew that uh, once I settled down and got relaxed I, I, would, I would be able to play my game and you know, get my hits and drive in my runs and, and hit my home runs but I think that when you get there even yourself as, as, a, as a, one of the best relievers in baseball ever that you know set up man even in your situation when you when you take that mound for the first time you're playing for the New York Yankees you come out of that bullpen you know make that run the fans are going crazy and it's always when you seem to come in at that time of the game sixth seventh eighth inning it's always something 
two on the line. It's a tight game. You're middle on base, and you got to get that key out. So your adrenaline is, is an all-time high for 5, 10, 15 minutes when you're on the mound. So you don't get that anywhere else. And I, and I did have an edge that I wanted to prove to them that I'm a good player, uh, I'm a good teammate, and, and I'm going to work hard every day. And I think that was the most important thing about playing in New York was playing hard every day and not making excuses no matter how good or bad you're doing. And the team, the, the fans there just loved that. So the adjustment was tough at first, but at the end of the day, it was the only place I ever wanted to play. You know, I got to go back to what you guys were just talking about in 1995, your great year with the Seattle Mariners. And this is why the cards were stacked against both of you when you came to the Yankees. It's because you took Yankees fans' hearts and ripped them out. It was the first time since 1981, guys, <laughs> that we were on the precipice of winning a damn playoff series. <laughs> And the Seattle Mariners win in that fashion, taking three straight games and that final one at the Kingdom. So I said that to say this. I give you both a ton of credit because you were coming in to the Bronx like WWE heels and you left. You both left heroes. I mean, that to me is that says it moves mountains for your careers. What you did in Yankee pinstripes. Oh no no it was it was, it was amazing and uh, and to go back on Nelly said uh, about him himself when I got traded that December I remember it was December um, you know when I got traded for Hurley uh, Sterling Hitchcock and Russ Davis uh, two very good players and I thought we got Jeff Nelson coming to New York too and the people in New York were same thing where you know well, who's Jeff Nelson we probably seen him you know come on the, come out of the bullpen you know he's a big guy a great slider and when they saw what he did day in and day out when he came in it was like a lights out type guy it was like Mariano Rivera pitched the seventh and eighth inning that year it was the sixth inning and Nelly shut the sixth inning out so we did. Come in, I guess, as a little bit of a villain type guy. I guess villains. I, I still have the the cover of the New York Post. Somebody gave it to me as, as a gift when I signed with the Yankees. It's a, in a frame of the, in my mom's house, and it's a picture of me swinging the bat with the, with the Seattle Mariners. And it said, "It's official. Desperate bombers give Martinez five year deal." <laughs> 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 they like they couldn't find anybody else, and I was like, "Oh, I still have that." But uh, I remember that vividly. And it's still in my mom's house. I look at it all the time. It's really funny. But to see where we came from from that point in. Uh, 96 to, to 2000, 2001 was amazing. Tino, you know, I was telling the story last week, last Monday, about our 98, how it started and, and how we, uh, I think that was the pussy toad when when we had a Rabu and we were like stuck in spring training for Mr. Steinbrenner to air out a Rabu. But remember when we went on that Icelandic air and we had to land in Tijuana and, and nobody knew that our pots almost tipped over? Yep, play the Padres. <laughs> spring training is, yeah. Yeah. No, nobody knew that, yeah. yeah. We, we, so we were, we were in the bus. I think we were in the, the three buses going. You were, you were in the same bus as I was. Yeah. And the, and the other two buses going, we just hit that middle rail, and the bus went up sideways. We just got stuck there laying sideways. At, at, at Who knows what time it was. It was dark outside. And we are in Tijuana, and um, fortunately, I think, you know, the, the uh, other buses stopped, and we had to get out of our bus and, and you know, get our bags. And, oh, it was a mess when it started there. <laughs> and, that was our, the start of our season, and, and then we went to play the Padres for two games, I believe, in spring training that year. Um, and then we played the um, San Diego State University or, or somebody else there in San Diego. And we got rained out like three or four, or four out of those days there. You couldn't play because it never rained in San Diego. And it rained every day we were there. And um, that was the start of our season, and then we wound up right back in San Diego to win it all. How about that? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Tino, after you replaced Don Mattingly at first base, you, you leave the Yankees and you play replace Mark McGuire at first base in St. Louis. So, I mean, you've had to replace these guys that were locked in granite in their positions in these in these teams throughout your career. Did that take a toll on you as you went through and you had to replace these big names? I mean, you were a big name when you went to St. Louis. Don't get me wrong. But was that tough? 
So I was replacing Donnie was tough because I knew how much the fans loved him and what he meant to the organization. One of the all-time greats there, and a great guy as well. But that was tough. But I knew that I was I wanted to be there. I wanted to play on that team. I love playing in New York. So I knew eventually if I just worked hard and stuck to my game plan and relaxed, I'd be able to play well enough there to at least do a great job for the for the fans. And and hopefully eventually they hopefully they would just appreciate me eventually. But going to St. Louis, I was it was not as hard. I mean, Reguero was a great player, obviously, but I don't think anybody expected me to hit 70 home runs or anybody else in that matter, whoever replaced him. So I knew, again, there, I would just have to, like, you know, be consistent, you know, hit my 20 or 20, 25 home runs, whatever I hit, play good defense, and that might work out itself out as well. But it was a lot harder going to New York with that media and the fan base uh, replacing a legend like Donnie than it was going to St. Louis where they're a little more relaxed and friendly. <laughs> not only not only the players, but how about the managers that you had throughout the years? Lou Pinella, Joe Torre, Tony La Russa. I mean, those are three top managers throughout that time. What was it like playing for all those skippers? Uh, it was oh, it was fantastic. I, you know, I think Nelly will tell you too to begin with. Lou Pinello was our really our really our first really really good manager in, in, in Seattle, and the guy who really helped turn that organization around. And he was the perfect guy for that team for the five when we were there four or five years we were there because we were a young team. We were um, they hadn't won in so many years. They had a, more of a losing attitude than anything else. And he brought in this whole entire uh, different attitude of we're going to win. We're going to bring in guys from the outside that are gamers, and we're going to play hard and find ways to win. And Lou just really uh, was one of the smartest managers of the game. Although he's very fiery and, uh, you know, you know, he just loses his temper a lot. His mind, his mind for baseball and the game itself is, is amazing. He's one of the smartest baseball men ever, men ever. And uh, he was great for us at that time. And then having gone over to, to New York, uh, again, with all the media and all the pressure and whatnot, you know, we had more of a veteran-type team there, uh, a team that, that could win. And we needed a guy just like Joe Torre, very laid-back, relaxed guy who let the players play. He took all the heat from, from George Steinbrenner throughout the year when things weren't going well, and he let us just enjoy ourselves and play, and he'll take all the heat. And he was an amazing manager as well. And then Tony La Russa, same thing. Tony's just a little more intense and more focused and very very detailed organized every game he wanted to know what what the third base signs are he tried to have get steel signs he tried everything possible to get an edge by just looking and watching and, and paying attention to everybody but he was an awesome awesome manager so i was fortunate to really play with three hall of fame managers because i do believe lupinella should be in the hall of fame yeah i agree to you You know i always tell him still to this day i say you know what you because of you i had success in new york because you know he back then when we before we started winning you know he was a tough manager to play for and if you didn't didn't take him the right way and say, hey, you know, this guy's trying to get the best out of you. He was tough. I mean, he was a very tough guy, special pitchers. And I think he got me ready for New York. And I said, you know what? It's because of you I was able to handle the toughest place, I think, to play ever. Uh, He he was great. And I agree. He should be in the Hall of Fame. But let's go back. I got a little story on 01. You know, I went back after 2000. I went back to Seattle. And I remember my first appearance coming back to New York. And you were on second base. And I come, come in. And it was late in the ball game. And I think Brett Boone was on second and you had 50 some thousand fans and probably 50 some thousand fans were booing the crap out of me so i come in and i couldn't help but stop I, you know I, I was ducking my head down and because i was almost i wanted to laugh and i look over and you're on second base and you start laughing and boone starts laughing and then all of a sudden i get to the mound and lou hands me the ball and he goes hi hey, son i see they still love you here and i was like <laughs> oh my god and it, it kind of took the edge off because you're coming back to a place where you absolutely loved and all of a sudden now you're the enemy but go back to that 01 01 season a little bit and especially 9-11 and what that meant and you know what this with the city and and the special year and obviously you probably thought you're going to win four in a row and I will say I was rooting against the Yankees because I was a little upset I said you got to be kidding me these guys are going to win four World Series in a row and I'm not there <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I'm the same, I'm the same way. Um, when I left the Yankees, I, I did not want to leave the Yankees. They signed Giambi after the uh, 01 season there in the 9-11 year. Uh, and we, you know, we had a really good chance to win that World Series, and it would have been great for the city. Uh, it was obviously a tough year throughout you know, the, the ending of it when 9-11 happened and the whole nine yards. So to get into the playoffs that year, we were hoping to win the World Series. And when we didn't, it was really a disappointment. But I really thought we got outplayed by the Diamondbacks. They played better than us. We um, were fortunate to hang in there and went one game, you know, three, four, five at home by, you know, a couple late home runs or just tight games, but they were playing great baseball and beat us. And same way with you, I, I, I felt like, um, you know, I would be back again for the, another year, another shot at it, for maybe, you know, maybe get another World Series ring with the Yankees. And they signed Giambi and let me go. And at that point, you know, I was, I don't know, 36 years old. I thought I had three years, three good years left to play in New York and uh, another chance to keep winning. But when they got rid of me, I felt the same way. I, I you know, I, they signed Giambi and let me, and I was so disappointed because I loved playing it as, as you did. But I didn't want them to win anymore after that either. <laughs> you know, I just, I was like, gosh, you know, I thought I did a good job for them. But it, it was fun. It was great. A tough year in, 90, in, in uh, 2001 there. I mean, it all seemed to work out well with the fans. You know, that, at that time, being in the playoffs and getting the World Series and getting those three games at home really gave the, the people there in New York something to just take their minds off of uh, what was going on for a couple hours a day and enjoy it. And they really, really got behind us, though, in those home games. They were loud and screaming. It was a very intense atmosphere and something I'll never forget. In 1995, Tino, we'll go back there for a second. I have that. I have Ken Griffey Jr. etched into my brain jumping up and celebrating and clapping his hands at home plate when you guys won that game and it reminds me of 2001 Luis Gonzalez raising his arms in joy as he hits that sawed off shot off Mariano Rivera and wins that game now Gonzalez is your best friend so what is that like when you see one of your best friends beating you in game seven of the World Series well you know we, we, we grew up together we played Lily together in high school together everything we're the same age and played on a lot of teams together but um you know it, it, it was obviously a great moment for him but it could have been anybody him or anybody else I was crushed when that ball fell for the base hit and, they, and we lost that game that day I was totally crushed it was great to see him enjoy that moment but I again I wish he would have struck out I think we all do Tino <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you so much for the time we appreciate it. it was great going down memory lane with you except for 1995 we'll leave that in the past but Tino thank you so much we appreciate it my pleasure guys hey y'all stay safe and let's hopefully get baseball back soon That's a wrap for episode four of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars and write a nice review on Apple, if you will. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. Stay safe, everybody. We'll talk to you next Monday.